Hey everybody, it's Shannon with VIP Kid World. Welcome back. In today's podcast, we're going to move on to chapter nine of our book reading, Little Soldiers by Lenora Chu. I hope you've been enjoying the book so far. It has been an amazing second read for me. Really glad that I took uh, this on. Um, it's been really, really beneficial for me. Um, and I hope that it is uh, something you're enjoying also. Uh, the ninth chapter of the book is titled Shortcuts and Favors. So once again, please forgive me for any pronunciation errors I make. And let's get right into chapter nine. If you have money, you can get ghosts to do your work. Chinese proverb. Teacher Song had a proposition for me one spring afternoon, though I didn't immediately recognize and the offer behind her words. Rainy's attention span needs fixing, she told me at pickup, as children weaved around us on the way out of the classroom. She had a habit of standing in fifth position, like a proper ballerina, heels locked together and toes pointing toward opposite walls. Boo how you see. What do you mean? I, I said, startled. We'd settled into an easy rapport, buttressed by head nods and waves, but Teacher Song didn't usually address me so directly. His attention span is poor, Song told me. You have to practice at home with things that require concentration, like puzzles. Earlier in the year, Song had sent an article via WeChat about cultivating focus and attention. That is the important first step toward genius, the article declared. Subject your child to the stair-point method by requiring him to fixate on a single spot for several minutes daily. Upon success, deliver positive reinforcement with verbal praise, touching and kissing. Then the child should rest for five to ten minutes. I was decidedly not a stair-point practitioner, and apparently Rainey had suffered. He has problems of concentration. You need to practice with him. Song barked suddenly, probably noticing that Mom had lost her train of thought, too. The following week, Song delivered the second part of a one-two punch, a chart documenting every child's progress on the recorder. The thing came with the disclaimer. Don't compare your kid to other kids. This is just a report to let parents know how well your child is doing. In private, I seethed. She'd sent the chart to all the parents via WeChat. How could we avoid a comparison with other children when scores are presented side by side? How's Rainy doing with recorder play? She asked, finding me the next day. Well, as you said, I told her pointedly, he has trouble with rhythm. When I pay attention to Rainy, he pay, plays certain notes. He's not bad when he concentrates, Song said, enunciating this last word. She glanced behind me to find an empty hallway and focused back on me. Would you like me to spend some extra time with him? Immediately I understood. Oh, I said, shifting my weight, trying to decipher what this meant. Extra time during class, or outside of class, on evenings and weekends? And do I give her money for this extra time? What if I offer money, and she's offended? Worse, what if I don't offer money, and she's offended? Just before the beginning of the school year, teachers were officially banned from accepting gifts and money and from offering tutoring for hire to their students outside of class. Straight out of the Ministry of Education, this 2014 prohibition was part of an ongoing effort to root corruption out of the education system. Sun Qingling issued its own interpretation. 
Adhering to the teaching principle, the founding grandmother, Sun Xingling, all the teachers will treat every child equally and refuse any form of gifts from parents. Our committee appeals to the parents to give up gift giving. Let's create a truly harmonious environment for children to develop. Inside of this newly articulated anti-corruption environment, I realized that Song's query had special meaning. It signaled acceptance into middle class number four's circle of trust. Foreigners were rarely offered an invite, <clears throat> but clearly Song thought of me as a Chinese face. Through the gossip grapevine that kept tabs on teachers, I knew that certain teachers at the school accepted cash and gifts from families deemed safe. Fine import wines, a box of French hand creams, a gift card loaded with 10,000 RMB, which was 1,700 US dollars, or a couple months of Chinese teacher's salary. Stepping inside that door meant entering an illicit world of gifting for favors, gifting for a teacher's attention, gifting for grades. Once you pass through, you cannot easily turn back, and the student-teacher relationship is forever halted. Uh... I stuttered, glancing at Teacher Song. I, let me think about that and get back to you. Song nodded, and I backed away from her. Once I rounded the hallway corner and was safely out of sight, I ran. The Chinese pepper their speech with the inspirational proverbs of ancient wise men, yet the saying I found most appropriate for Chinese society reads less like a motivational saying. To me, it is a condemnation. If you have money, you can get ghosts to do your work. In other words, the rich can awaken the dead. As another interpretation goes, money makes anything possible. It can't even rouse the spirits from slumber. Gifting has long wielded immense power in Chinese society. I certainly felt the pressure early on in Rainey's journey, and this quality, coupled with today's runway consumer culture, has made such a greasing of the palms a part of everyday life. Reciprocity is almost always expected. Someone gave me a peach as a gift, so I sent him a pear in return. Trumpets the classic of poetry, one of five classics of Confucian canon. It's improper not to return what one receives, proclaims another famous proverb. Gifting inside a school child's journey might start innocuously, like a pineapple cake to a principal or teacher, which he is or she graciously accepts. It's just a token of appreciation, but nevertheless, a microscopic line has been crossed. Then you hear Nong Nong's mother delivered cash in a red envelope, and you notice shortly thereafter that the teacher gave the boy a front row seat in math class. Your boy sits in the back, where it's harder to hear. Soon you find yourself shopping for a Louis Vuitton at Chinese New Year. Within a few months, you hear jobs are are the newest gift, and that May's father secured an internship at his pharmaceutical company for the school principal's college-age niece. Meanwhile, your son gets elected class monitor in China. The word elect must also be bookended with quotes, and you wonder whether you had anything to do with it with that Louis Vuitton. The desire to gain an advantage, any advantage, settles deep into the pits of the Chinese stomach. And before long, you're loading up gift cards with renminbi and slipping them into teachers' palms. What started out as a pineapple cake has suddenly become, I just gave you 5,000 RMB. What will this do for my daughter? 
The system of gifting, gifting and reciprocity favors well-funded parents, of course, whose children might gain, uh, gr be granted a fast pass onto highway of individual attention and opportunity. Rewards might include extra test prep, special awards, and leadership positions, opportunities to head overseas for school exchange programs, or even backdoor admissions to high school and college. Parents who cannot afford to participate or who refuse on principle may see their children struggle. Amanda and her parents learn their lesson early. Teacher tongue, teacher tongue, Amanda suddenly blurted out once, wrapping her knuckles on the table as we talked, a sudden movement for such a slight girl. Who was teacher tongue? My elementary school, Bonjour Ren, homeschool, home ruled teacher, she said, as a sudden shudder passed through her shoulders. An eight-year-old Amanda was terrified of her. Teacher Tong always belittled me in front of my classmates. She'd say, you may think you're smart, but you're not normal. You are just normal. I didn't know why she was picking on me, but we were taught teachers were always right. I thought I was a bad kid. The verbal tirades worsened when Amanda performed well. When she sang with a particularly clear voice or snagged first place on a math test. When Amanda gathered the most votes for class monitor, Teacher Tang would rig the election so that I would come in second. I never won, Amanda said. Years later, Amanda could still recall the Teacher Tang's stare, so hot and intense that she rarely saw the whites of her owlish eyes, only dark, gawking black pupils. Why did she do this to you? I asked. We never paid, Amanda said. Much later, another student confessed to her that her parents had been plying Teacher Tong with gifts. Like bribes? I asked. Gifts. Giving her money. Paying for trips. One student in our class, her family took Teacher Tong on vacation to Hainan Island. The tropical island was China's version of Hawaii. Most of her classmates... Amanda estimated, had been given the equivalent of 100 to $200 a few times each year, which amounted to a significant sum for a middle-class family. Later, did your parents regret not participating, not playing the game? I asked. Amanda stared into her, into her coffee. She nodded once, quickly, almost imperceptibly. Another time, Amanda found trouble at high school's registrar's office. She needed a copy of her transcript to apply for the U.S. high school exchange, and she'd approached the man in charge of grade reports. I got A's in everything. I always got A's. But there were B's all over my transcript, Amanda told me, her voice quivering in anger. The man had handed her a transcript with her name emblazoned across the top and bees listed below in politics, Chinese, and biology. Flumoxed, her parents asked around before a friend finally clued them in. Don't you know? You're supposed to pay, he told them. The going rate was 2,000 RMB, Amanda said bitterly, bringing me before and after copies of her transcripts when I pressed her for proof. I noted identical documents down to the red ink chop of the school, except for the letter grades in the three subjects of politics, Chinese, and biology. After my mom paid him the money, he gave me back my A's, 
Amanda said, tapping the second paper. There's a basic amount that you have to pay to get your proper transcripts, and the number increases every year. What happens if you don't have the money? I asked. If I didn't pay, then I would just get the three B's on my transcript. Teachers shouldn't be accepting gifts, I exclaimed to Amanda. The registrars would, shouldn't wield his power to get cash. That's a conflict of interest. Upon Amanda's return from her year in U.S. high school, a litany of observations about American culture had tumbled out of her, insightful in their simplicity. Western parents want to achieve, but they don't want their kids to suffer for it. Self-esteem is very important. So is football. Rich people have the connections to continue to be rich and make sure their kids are rich, too. Yet in her time there, Amanda hadn't often come across the term conflict of interest. I struggled to explain. Should Teacher Tong have been accepting gifts? I asked Amanda. Families who give gifts may enjoy unfair advantages. The Chinese don't see it that way, Amanda says with a shrug. This kind of behavior is everywhere. My migrant friend Lauren also fell victim to such a scheme. Junjun's teachers wanted money for the school newspapers that should be free. Fees for off-syllabus books, cash for outside classes held by homeroom teachers who declared them mandatory. Junjun's teacher said if he didn't attend, he would fall behind during regular school hours, Lauren bristled. 800 RMB per month. There is no shitsai, no honesty. Students take shortcuts, too. At least 90% of my students cheat estimated one principal of a Shanghai high school. Every morning, I'd take a tour of the building and catch at least two students copying homework. Lately, he added, technology has made cheating more difficult to catch. They use WeChat on their mobile phones. They take pictures of tests and send them to friends. Darcy revealed an educational backdoor of his own one humid rainy afternoon. My father is not married to my mother, Darcy told me voice subdued as we walked toward the subway station after a meeting. The revelation was an accident. I'd spotted an inconsistency in statements he'd made about a stepmother, and I asked him about it. They're not married to each other, I asked, unsure, unsure where he was headed. Was this a conversation about a parent's midlife crisis and a subsequent affair? No, they're not married, he said, pulling his umbrella low over his face. He kept his eyes on the sidewalk as we strolled. When I was ten, my father took vows with another woman. I call the woman my stepmother. They're married in name only. The stepmother is from Shanghai, he continued, and suddenly everything made sense. Married in name only. His father had brokered an arrangement in secret and greased it with a pile of cash. His father took a new wife. The woman got financial security, and the boy obtained a parent with a Shanghai hukou. Hukou refers to the household registration system that links a child permanently to his family's hometown. Generally, Chinese children attend high school and also sit for the national college entrance exam in their hometowns. That means the most critical years of a child's education are governed by what's printed on his or his parents' hukou. If there were an American equivalent, I might be forced at age 15 to relocate to my birthplace of Philadelphia to attend senior high school. 
even though I'd moved away when I was in diapers and no longer knew anyone in the city. More than that, entrance exams for college vary in content, depending on where you take it, and universities allocate more admission slots to some provinces. The American equivalent might be SAT tests whose questions were more difficult for students in Omaha than those in New York City. That means HUCO could very well bind an unlucky child to a province where entrance exams are more difficult or where fewer kids advance into top tier of top-tier colleges. For example, Tsinghua University, commonly called the Harvard of China, accepted roughly 200 kids from both the cities of Beijing and the entire province of Henan in 2016, despite the fact that Henan has seven times more people than Beijing, at 95 million people. Shanghai kids benefit from dice that are similarly weighted. Students in a sh with a Shanghai hukou were 53 times more likely than the national average to get into the premier Fudan University. In China, the hukou system is a deterrent to social and class mobility, and some researchers have likened it to a caste system or Chinese apartheid. Darcy could have been one of those disadvantaged kids. He was born in rural Hubei province, but was transported to Shanghai as a youngster on the heels of a mother and father who sought a big city future. A decade later, Darcy is an urban teenager with city manners. His rural Hubei dialect long ago swallowed up by his adopted megacity of 26 million. Meanwhile, the hometown listed on his hukou had become an economic wasteland. I saw fields lying fallow. Lots of empty houses, Darcy told me, describing a trip back to his village for a relative's wedding. As a boy, I went to my cousin's house and played in the fields. Back then, they were lush and green. He was a countryside. His was a countryside emptied of jobs and people. The solution was clear. The family decided. Darcy must attend high school where progress hangs its hat. He must sit for a Gaokao in Shanghai. So his rural Huko holding parents divorced and dad fake married up to someone with an urban Huko for the price of 50,000 RMB. That qualified the boy to stay in Shanghai for schooling. Skirt the rules and get a better life. It's a compelling incentive, all right. I found this revelation confounding. After the Gaokao is over, I uttered dumbly in the direction of Darcy's umbrella, will your mother and father get remarried? We reached the sub subway where he faithfully escorted me after each meeting. See you next time, Darcy said, his voice growing faint, as if suddenly re realizing he'd revealed too much. I stooped to peer underneath the brim of his umbrella, and he tilted his head forward to say goodbye. On days I wasn't feeling empathetic, I would brand the entire system with a single word. Fool by, corrupt or rotten. Each time I saw a news report about a principal who'd taken a bribe, a teacher enrolling her students in after-school prep for side money, or an elaborate gal-cow cheating scheme, I found the word popping into my head. Fubai. It was the judgment of a Westerner, schooled in a different culture. Over time, I landed upon a simpler truth, one less judgmental and more reflective of the reality of China today. The rules are so rigid and hierarchical, the game is zero-sum with incredibly high stakes. So that to survive, 
the Chinese had to become accustomed to seeking a workaround, breaking the law, or a matter of survival. A school child's journey is full of assessments and evaluations, which are typically made public, posted on big board, say, for all to see. When they're not broadcast formally, results propagate just as rapidly via the invisible scorecard of gossip. Which child raised his hand most often? Whose recorder play was most closely followed rhythm? Who snagged first place on the math exam? Whose gal cow scores topped the district list? A score would simply be a score, and nothing more if such assessments were simply a periodic check on progress. In the Chinese school system, a number is much more than that. A relentless churn of testing coughs up scores with real consequences, and the stakes are many, high, and intricately intertwined. A teacher might get a salary bump for cultivating high-scoring students. A principal might be granted a promotion based on his school-wide gaokao average. A student might gain admission to an elite college while her classmates lose their grip on the ladder to social and economic security. Couple this high-stakes, zero-sum environment with a large population, a scarcity of opportunity, and a cultural propensity to give gifts, and suddenly the education system becomes riddled with men or back doors, through which gifts and money exchange hands. In today's China, it would be tempting to brand as fubai the teachers and administrators who dabble in the gray. Certainly some I've met would easily classify as greedy and spiteful, but most are pawns, caught up in a system beyond their influence and design. The notorious pride of the Chinese also plays a role. Losing face or admitting defeat simply isn't an option. And taking the moral high ground would mean falling behind. It's a national game of keep up with the Wongs, and sometimes that requires using every tool in the kit. There's an additional problem. Teacher and administrator salaries are relatively low, which means that opportunities to earn extra cash can be critical to keeping afloat in modern China. Educators may have the reverse of Chinese the reverence of Chinese society, but respect is little consolation when it's the factory owners, entrepreneurs, and professionals who have cashed in on China's economic growth. Teachers also face a unique pressure of the authoritarian system. For one, they must curry favor with superiors who determine promotions based on assessments. A teacher who oversees evaluations at a Shanghai school explained that he might walk into a music or art class, select students at random, and ask them to sing a song or draw an object on command. If the child knows the song or draws well, the teacher is doing good. A math teacher might be evaluated based on the test scores of her kids. These assessments are slotted into a file and cracked open whenever teachers apply for raises and promotions. This places immense power in the hands of the assessor. Teachers can only hope their judge is fair. In the same way, 1980s Chinese farmers might have longed for a t local tax collector who resisted embezzlement or unjust random le levies. Uh, not everyone is so lucky. It's an open secret that we must offer up to 50,000 RMB to administrators in order to be considered for promotion, wrote one of the teacher from Azhou City in Hubei province on an online forum. Amanda told me her high school math teacher was always looking for backdoors. The man sat on a committee that formulated exam questions for a citywide math contest, and this power proved to be a temptation he couldn't resist. He distributed the questions to his own students, Amanda told me, in advance.
Armed with this illicit head start, Amanda said, the man's students performed among the top in the district. The teacher's own performance evaluations sparkled that year. What happened then? I asked Amanda, imagining that the man was found out and fired. He got a promotion, Amanda said, and the school got a prize. Chinese media have reported many dozens of cases of large-scale fraud around education over the past few years. Uh, A high school principal in Guangdong took fees from parents to enroll hundreds of kids with entrance scores that fell short off the cutoff. More than 3,000 teachers and administrators in Hubei required students to buy school uniforms priced higher than market, then raked in kickbacks from uniform companies. A rash of administrators in Guizhou province were dismissed for taking bribes. And Anhui administrator purchased scientific equipment and used kickbacks to buy an apartment for his son. A Renan University official confessed to taking more than $3.6 million in exchange for helping students secure spots at a college or for other favors surrounding the admission process. Authorities have tried to root out the problems, only to find that policy is one thing and reality is quite another. The system's massive size and its firmly entrenched education culture make change difficult. Sometimes, ironically, teachers and parents themselves object to anti-corruption efforts, comfortable as they are with a system that is clearly flawed, but ultimately familiar. Take government efforts to root out cheating at Gaokao. Many shortcuts have been documented for this exam. Crafted by students, parents, even teachers who benefit when students test well. And they get more clever every year. News reports show... Photos of microphones hidden inside coins and eyeglasses. Receivers shaped like pencil erasers. Tiny cheat sheets. Students from one province have been hired to take tests for those in another, a particular problem in rural areas. Consultants can be hired to transmit answers on test day and pay, paying for officials for an advanced peak at the test isn't heard of, isn't unheard of. Other times, teachers have been known to sell the answer keys. In recent years, Beijing officials have proposed extreme punishment, such as a 2015 law that penalizes Gaokao cheaters with a three- to seven-year prison sentence. Local education bureaus are also attempting their own measures, such as ban on watches in the exam room. Guangdong province instituted an ID recognition system to prevent proxy test takers from sitting in for students. A Jingzhou school administered the test deep inside a forest where no cell signal could be could reach. And a photo that went viral shows desks placed more than an arm's length apart as teachers paced the gaps, presumably to prevent the exchange of answers. The ministries recently decreed that every testing room in the country must be monitored by at least two staffers. It was a public admission of an epidemic. Yet Crack down too much and people get angry. We want fairness. There is no fairness if you do not let us cheat, chanted a mob of angry parents after officials unexpectedly installed a metal detector and outside test proctors at a test site in Hubei province. Cheating is a nationwide pastime. This group of more than 2,000 parents claimed as they threw rocks and chanted at the test monitors who took cover inside the building. Cracking down only on their children puts them at a disadvantage, they said. Around this time, I returned to Little Pumpkin's classroom. I sauntered down the hallway 
to small class number one at Harmony Kindergarten and spotted Master Teacher Wong at a sink in an open restroom. The way she washed her hands brought back all sorts of memories of my first days in her classroom. As she ran her hands under the water, only the butt of the hand and the fingers touched, forming a cavity between her palms as if to cup a baby mouse. When she rubbed vigorously on those two contact points, it seemed as if she were torturing the tidy rodent with a great amount of determination. I trailed in her into the classroom, and once inside, we struck up a conversation at the back of the room as the associate teacher launched into a lesson. Where is Wong Wuzhe? I asked Teacher Wong, Master Wong, scanning the children's faces for Little Pumpkin, anxious to see how the little boy was faring six months after I'd first observed him in the classroom. He's not here. He's sick. He's always sick, Master Wong told me, leaning against a bunk bed. Wong's face was all angled, sharp features, settled into a pointed frown. Is he having trouble in school? I asked her. He is Y.D. Ren, outsider. Wong told me as if her big city bigotry would explain a rural boy's absence. You want to see another strange child? Take this one, she said, abruptly stepping forward to grasp a little girl by the shoulders. Ji Bijong, she doesn't understand anything. The three characters, Ji Bijong, translated to the word self-shut illness. The girl was autistic. Her parents refused to do anything about her, Wong told me. She'll just sit in the back until one day she'll drop out, Wong concluded. And it was a do-nothing approach to special needs. And the girl sat near the back of the classroom, emitting noises that formed no words I could recognize. Bang hai bao bao bang hai bao. Teachers Wong and Lee had covered much ground since I'd first visited. The kids had memorized a dozen nursery rhymes, learned to count, and sussed out different, the differences between planes, trains, and cars. Wong surveyed her ordered classroom with pride. Ten cups of water lined up to attention in a cupboard. Uh, folded pajamas atop each pillow. Children perched silently in chairs as if the occasion of my visit had suddenly clarified her success. The children are very guai. Well behaved, I affirmed. They wail like ghosts and howl like wolves that first week, Wong said. But now, now they listen to me. An outlier quickly emerged. As the children worked on a penguin coloring exercise, seated in clusters of eight, little black bodies of flightless birds began to emerge. One little girl (coughs) inexplicably drew two large round eyes on the penguin's left cheek. This was a violation of Wang's classroom, which could never be mistaken for an exercise of free-form painting or Picasso-style cubist sketching. The penguin was supposed to be drawn strictly in profile. In three steps, Wong bounded over to the girl's table. What are you doing? You are drawing two eyes on your paper. Two eyes. Look up at me, Wong commanded. The girl obeyed, deliberately. Wong turned to profile to offer a girl a view of the left side of her face silhouette. When I turn to the side, do you see one eye or two? One eye or two, Wong commanded with that sharp voice that made heads twitch. The girl parted her lips, but nothing came out. Wong snapped. Look at me! Look at the side of my face! Do you see one eye or two? One? The girl finally uttered. That's right. One! One eye! Wong said, wrapping the table. So why are you drawing two eyes on your paper? 
after lunch, Master Wang uh, moved in on a golden opportunity. Your husband is American. When will he be back? Wang asked. I'd mentioned that Rob was away on a business trip. Next week, I said. Wang's eyes brightened. Well, maybe he can bring back something for me, she said. She turned to teacher Lee and conveyed the news of Rob's whereabouts with the jollity of a five-year-old on Christmas morning. Teacher Lee knew immediately what this meant, and she motioned for the children to file into their chairs. Lee had a softness about her that made her approachable, with her bouncing pixie cut and an aloof grin. At times, she seemed embarrassed by her partner teacher, especially when Wong screamed at the autistic girl or yelled fiercely at a boy who rose for water out of turn. On the subject of shopping, the two women were perfectly aligned. "'What purses do you buy?' Teacher Lee asked glancing down at the bag of my, at my feet. My chocolate-brown canvas messenger bag was a functional tote of a writer who carried a laptop wherever she goes. Uh, um, I don't really buy purses that much, I stammered. In the eyes of Wong and Lee, I had zero style. Lee continued. We don't use coach anymore. Too many people have coach now, <laughs> she said, raising an eyebrow. Was she trying to send me a message? Wong chimed in. Have you heard of Jianbi? I sounded out the phone names in my head, but they strung together and formed no brand I knew. No, I admitted reluctantly. Wong motored over to the classroom computer, typed in a few characters, and up popped the image of a familiar yellow bottle of lotion displayed before a familiar candy green colored box. Chuanbi, teacher Wong repeated. Clinique, I exclaimed. Yes, Wang grew excited. What about Mikey Gaoshi? I don't know Mikey Gaoshi, I said. A few keyboard strokes and a purse popped up on the screen displaying the initials MK. Oh, Michael Kors, I exclaimed. Tang Li Baichi? Wang said, loading a circular symbol comprised of oriental looking sketches. Tory Birch, I said. Yes, Wong said, pleased I knew this was this one right away. That, this is more exclusive. Too many people have coach now. About six of the ten people on the street have coach now. Was that a scientific study? We worked our way through the Chinese names for Louis Vuitton, Kate Spade, Mark Jacobs, and finally Wong pranced over to the metal cabinet at the side of the classroom. I thought it held art supplies, but it turned out to be a secret repository of luxury goods. Wang triumphantly threw open the door, nudged aside a box of markers, and produced a black clutch. Pulada! This was 5,000 RMB, she said, caressing the patent leather. Prada. Next, she excitedly pulled out a mobile phone and showed me a snapshot of various luxury items positioned against a wall, as if a handbag had committed murder and was ready to be <clears throat> put up in a lineup of purses. My sister brought all of these back from France. She also bought four laulishi. Laulishi? She tapped on her keyboard again, and an image popped up. Rolex. You know... Lee said suddenly, pointing in my direction with her nose. Teacher Chu is an American. The American brands will be much cheaper in America. We'll buy the European brands in France and Korea. My marching orders were clear. 
and I slowly pulled out my MacBook Air and took notes. I realized I'd made my bed by gifting those coach purses, and I was uncomfortable in my new role, but I also couldn't figure out how to extricate myself from the situation. The children sat silently in their U-shape, awaiting instruction as Lee's eyes suddenly fixed on my laptop. How much was that? She said, tapping the glowing Apple logo. I bought this in the United States for about 2,000 American dollars, I said. When is the new iPad coming out? Teacher Wong said. Can you buy us iPhone 6? Lee chimed in. Within five minutes, I found myself in a conference room, six teachers peering over my shoulder. Wong had yelled into several open classroom doors as we marched down the hallway. Teacher Chu is going to buy me my Kigaoshi purse prompting other teachers to melt into the procession. I had suddenly become the Pied Piper to luxury goods. The foreigner, who'd best been <laughs> an intrusion in the classroom, suddenly had value. China's tax system made foreign-branded items purchased out inside of China prohibitively expensive. Apple computers might cost a third more, while a Louis Vuitton handbag might be double the price of one purchase in the United States or Europe. This time, Rob would be their mule. I felt the women's breath hot over my shoulder as I toggled between the sights of Nordstrom, Bloomingdale's, Macy's, and Zappos. Where's the principal? Who's watching the children? Lee wanted a navy blue Michael Kors satchel in a style called Selma, but only Nordstrom had it, in green. I, I can't find it, I said reluctantly. I really want that bag. Lee stated, voice staccato, breath landing on my cheek. Not in green, in blue. That blue is last season's, and they're gone, I concluded. Will they make more? Call them, Wong ordered, hitting me on the shoulder. Call Michael Kors? Let me look again, I said nervously, my fingers slipping over the keys, and Nordstrom's website popped up again. Wong struck me again, this time on the forearm. You already look there. She said, I'm sorry, I said, glancing up at her like a chastened schoolgirl. Forget about it, she said. Another 15 minutes, I had my orders. Four teachers settled for microcore wallets, while Wang chose a striped Tory Birch straw bag that cost roughly a month's teacher's salary. I like a straw bag, especially in the summertime, Wang said conclusively, while the women murmured appreciatively. Two generations ago, tens of millions of Chinese starved to death in the countryside due to one of Mao Zedong's failed policies. Now, we were surfing for handbags and matching purse styles in season of the year. Starvation to luxury bags in 50 years. If anything encapsulated the speed and irony of Chinese transformation, this was it. I glanced up at the gaggle of teachers huddled over me pondering how to phase my next question, how to phrase it. How can you afford all of these purses? I finally asked. The average Shanghai school teacher's salary that year was about 750 American dollars a month, uh, just about the cost of a Tory Burch handbag. Wang redirected. Why don't you buy purses? I have two boys to raise, I said. Wang nodded. Do you have to buy a... Apartments for the boys so they can get married? We don't have that custom, but some American universities cost up to 300,000 RMB a year, I said. Wah, 
We only have one child each. The college tuition is at most 20,000 RMB a year. Wong said triumphantly, I already have an apartment. I have a daughter, not a son. So we can buy lots of purses. I loaded the goods into my online shopping cart and typed in the New Jersey address where Rob was staying. Finished, I declared. As a group, we made our way back to the children, teacher by teacher, peeling off into the corresponding classrooms as we moved down the corridor. When Wong and Lee reached the end, we found our children seated quiet, quietly in their classroom, huddled over their water cups and classroom IEs keeping watch. Let's start three little pigs, teacher Wong proclaimed, stepping in the front of the room, launching this British fairy tale to the Chinese rhyme. Educators in China love this story as its morale mirrored Chinese beliefs about hard work. Why erect a, mud, a hut of mud or twigs when you can invest the effort to build an indestructible house of stone? I took a spot in the back of the room, found my body relaxing into a chair. Ironically, I felt more than welcome than I ever had before as my mind raced over what had come to pass. The coach goods offered at my first visit had instigated a brazen, greedy frenzy of luxury purse shopping on my second visit, and I simply didn't feel I could refuse. These teachers might use those Michael Kors wallets to satisfy favors owed in their own lives. Meanwhile, the gray areas of the system would continue to throb and thrive, fed by the players trapped within its margins. Up front, teacher Lee and Wong launched into their lesson about unusually good cheer, probably buoyed by thoughts of retail bounty. The pig voice should be light and fast, and the wolf voice should be deep and scary, boomed teacher Lee. Lee blew heartily as 27 children followed suit, swaying to and fro at their seats, <clears throat> and teacher Wong didn't yell again at the children for the rest of the hour. My husband was a reluctant mule for Tory Birch. This thing is bigger than my carry-on, Rob exclaimed, calling me from his brother's home in Princeton, New Jersey. You want me to bring this back to China? Rob texted me a photo of the package. Ding! The straw bag of 2014 Tory Birch collection was enveloped in orange cardboard and secured with a gold seal. And the entire in arrangement was the size of a baby elephant. Yes, it is big, I admitted, but I need it. After some heated discussion and a few minutes of cajoling, my harried husband finally agreed to drive to the nearest Home Depot, purchase a shipping box, and bag-check the monstrosity for the long flight back to China. The evening of Rob's arrival, Wong pulled into our complex in the Volkswagen SUV. She'd warned me against coming to school. We have a new principal now, and she has an office inside the school. I'll come to you. I'll bring cash. The sky was dark. I stood under the street lamp at the trunk of Wong's vehicle, adopting a hunched shoulder of a dealer ready to palm cash for drugs. Tori Birch bound, bounty in hand. A shadow emerged from the driver's seat and made her way toward the back of the Volkswagen, which, like luxury bags, was also subject to formidable import taxes. Wong was a teacher and her husband was a government worker, and in that instant, I wondered how she could afford this luxury. So that's it? Tang Li Bai Chi? Teacher Wang said, materializing before me at the trunk of her vehicle. It's so large. Yes, 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 it is large, I said, gritting my teeth. I handed over the goods. There's also the purse and the two black Mikey Gaoshi wallets, one orange and one pink for your teacher friends. Wang snatched the mer merchandise and thrust a wad of cash into my suddenly empty grasp. Count it, she said. 
I dutifully riffled through the stack, hoping no neighbor would spot me with a wad of bills. 6,500 RMB in all. Was as high as a stack of iPhones. I finished counting. Okay, I said awkwardly. Wong sauntered back to the driver's door and boarded her SUV. I turned around and walked back to my apartment and took a shower. Two days later, my phone rang. The Mikey Gaoshi bag is wrong, Teacher Wong growled in my ear. The text says USD 228, and I gave you the equivalent of 298. Also, it's shiny leather, and Teacher Lee wanted soft leather. We can't use it. I was meeting with Amanda, and I marveled at the absurdity of the situation. Teacher Wong, I'll look up the receipt and call you later. I can't talk now. But Wong couldn't wait. You took $298 from me. You, so you paid $298 for this bag? She rang out. Of course I paid 298 I blurted. Did she think I'd try to profit from this transaction? Then the store made a mistake, Wong said. The store should send the bag right back to China. Wong clicked off. I imagined trying to describe the situation to the Macy's return department. Instead, I explained to Amanda. I'm shocked at how briskly she is, I said, though I recognize my complicity. Amanda nodded. School teachers and officials in China are used to having parents do whatever they want, she said. They have so much power. I glanced at my teenage friend, who was clearly embittered by her struggles with authority figures. The following week, I went to Pumpkin School to fetch Mr. Kors. A guard approached. The man I nicknamed Smoking Guard usually dangled a lit cigarette from his lips. But today, he walked briskly and purposefully, with not a vice in sight. Instead of swinging open the gate as he usually did, he stopped short and peered at me through the bars. You can't come over here whenever you want anymore, he whispered, a glimmering of warning in his eyes. We have a principal on set now. He retreated to the main building and returned a minute later, trailed by a thin young woman with rhinestone buckle at her waist, clacking in four-inch heels. I'm the principal of this school, said the woman, looking at me through the bars, her gaze casting over me from forehead down to shoes as I shifted uncomfortably through her scrutiny. Finally, she nodded at smoking guard, who opened the gate. He avoided my eyes as I passed, and in that instant I realized he tipped off the principal, eager to get in with his new boss. The principal's name was Kong. She escorted me into the same conference room where I'd surfed for Tory Birch the previous month, with six teachers peeking over my shoulder. I glanced around as we stepped inside, half expecting evidence of my wrongdoing to appear in its mocking white walls or reproachful empty chairs. Teacher Kong was iron-fisted, order, newly installed in Sinan Kindergarten, and it appeared she would put teachers back to work during school hours and relegate Prada and Michael Kors to nights and weekends. She ticked off her questions resolutely, the rhinestone buckle on her belt flashing in my eyes. How did I gain access to the school? What is my nationality? What does my husband do? What was the purpose of the observing the classroom? I answered her questions and told her, I'm a writer who is researching the Chinese education system with a personal interest. I have a school, in the, a child in the system, I told her. My son attends Sun Qingling. I see, she said, and de I detected a shimmer of awe. We spoke more about my work, and finally she stood, ultimately unimpressed. If we don't call you, don't call us, 
she said, extending a hand to indicate the door. May I say hello to teacher Wong and Lee? I asked, trying to carve my way back to the classroom to re retrieve Mr. Coors. I think you should leave now, Principal Kong said. I felt Kong's eyes bore tiny holes into the back, into my back until I reached the front gate and finally she disappeared when smoking guards swung open the gate. Only then did uh, Teacher Lee appear. Her lined eyebrows rised, raised feet cycling in hot pursuit. Here it is, she said, chest heaving, pushing the Michael Kors reject into my hand. We both glanced over our shoulders in apprehension, but the principal had retreated into the depths of the building. Cheeks flushed, I extracted three-inch wad of B from my wallet, counted out the equivalent of $298 in front of her. Smoking guard watched me count, amused. Lee grabbed the stack. The new principal does everything by the book, she whispered, and disappeared before I could respond. Even teachers Wang and Lee had a master. As the iron gates clanged shut that day, the rejected purse in my hand, I knew that was the last time I'd see teacher Wang and Lee on campus. A year later, when I met up with Wang at a noodle restaurant, she would reveal that the principal enforced rules no one had before. We have to file reports, write papers, stick to curriculum. I spend many hours more at school than before. Wong divulged another point of her stress. Her 12-year-old daughter was already preparing for the high school entrance exam. She's studying until midnight every night already, and the test isn't for three more years, Wong said, glancing down into her noodle bowl. It's steam rising, then dissipating again, the worry lines on her forehead. I asked how the girl was scoring in practice. She's just average, Wong said, an average student. She needs to score 460 to get into high school that we want. Teacher Wong and her husband had taken jobs miles from their home in Yangpu District so that their daughter could attend the highly ranked middle school near the cramped apartment rental. Only then, a full year later, did I appreciate Teacher Wong for the complexity of her situation. She was not only an authoritarian, propagating an unforgiven system, but also a victim of a new iron-fisted order. Above all, she was an ancient parent who was very much the system's subject. Back at Sung Qingling, Rainey's teachers awaited a response. It had been weeks since Teacher Song's offer of extra time with Rainey, and I couldn't keep my head down and pick up forever. In the weeks since, I'd begun asking around and learned that evidence of her own corruptions might be a visual representation. Just watch next time, a parent told me. Watch her performance lineups. The order in which children are arranged for Chinese school performance at holidays for end-of-the-year songs and dance shows is supposed to be formulaic. Tall children in the front, short children along the sides and, and back, with particularly able to or expert children slotted front and center. But Teacher Song's lineups were out of whack. Heights didn't match up, and children in front weren't always top performers. In other words, Song was arranging spots by some other criterion altogether. Perhaps Teacher Song's participation on the gifting highway had a visual representation. I didn't care much about Rainey's placement for school performances, although I knew little gifts and cash for services would certainly grease his way on his educational journey. Despite the upside... I knew that we simply couldn't participate. Rob felt the same way. I don't feel comfortable with extra help, he told me. A small gift of appreciation is okay, I agreed, thinking of pineapple cake for the teacher. 
but to pay for our son's teacher for outside lessons is something else entirely. Let's do recorder practice on ourselves, Rob concluded. Rob and I sat together for a minute in silent contemplation of our newfound commitment. Teacher song was skilled, while Rob and I don't play the recorder. I was still recuperating from a childhood of forced piano lessons, and even though I was musically trained, I had trouble reading recorder sheet music, which looked to me like spherical beetles bopping across the paper. And Rob's adolescence had been spent playing air guitar to Led Zeppelin. It would have been far easier to accept teacher song's time. It's a stretch to say that every parent in China gives gifts, or even that most teachers or administrators accept them. But the practice is enough of an issue that the ministry announced that blanket prohibition on gifts, as well as a ban on exchanging money for teacher services outside of the classroom. Many whispered that such anti-corruption efforts only pushed the quid pro quo highways farther underground, where exchanges continued to thrive in secret. What's clear is that many Chinese parents feel as conflicted as I do. One report found that nine out of ten parents would like to abolish Teacher's Day, which clogs roadways along and around schools each year as parents tote gifts to school. With government policy leading the way and parents growing discomfort for gifting in gray areas, things might gradually change for the better. Over the following months, though, I detected that Rainey was occasionally slighted by Teacher Song. Most instances were minor and unintentional, caused not by malice toward Rainey, uh, more by her desire to favor another student. For the most part, I could live with it. Other times, I had trouble controlling my instincts. At one of Rainey's end-of-year shows, Rainey's classmate, Li Fa Rong, whom a friend had begun calling King of the Naughty Kids, since he was always being punished, misplaced his black performance shoes. Teacher Song's solution? Ask Rainey to remove his own shoes and offer them to the barefoot Rong. The boys wore the same size. I'd sussed out what happened after Rainey began to complain at home that his new shoes hurt his feet. As I listened to my son recount this story, I became livid. The rage made my fingers twitch. I marched around the living room for ten minutes after Rainey went to bed, trying to breathe, and the next day I headed straight for teacher song at pickup. I planted my feet before her. I want Rainey to wear the shoes I bought for him, I said. Song was taken aback by my directiveness, and she continued, voice strong and steady. Rong Wong has no shoes. Can Rainy wear the extra ones I gave him? Song said, indicating a pair several sizes too small for Rainy. They pinch his toes, and they aren't the shoes we bought, I said, chin lifted. Song searched my face, decided how to mount her rebuttal. Are you sure about Rainy's size? She said, Rong Rong lost his, and we just want to make sure that there hasn't been a mistake. I pivoted, tramped home, and snapped a photo of the empty box sitting in Rainey's bedroom. Label clearly displayed. This was all the proof I had of the shoe size, since the footwear that had come in the box was being held hostage at school. I sent a snapshot over the, we snapshot over the WeChat group. Rainey's shoe box, size 33, my message proclaimed to protect her Mianzi, or face, before the group song could only relent. Rainy kept his shoes, and I rejoiced. When you can't find a workaround, you must play the power that you have. 
Other times I could only watch helplessly. Later that year, school officials in several major cities uh, were caught sneaking anti-flu drugs into kindergartners' lunches without parents knowing or their consent. This was a money-saving measure aimed at keeping kids in school. Should a student miss a day, the school loses the state-funded allotment for that kid. The opportunity proved too much to resist. Drug them up and keep them healthy, proclaimed the headlines of the news article about the incident. Hundreds of parents in Xi'an said their children had suffered headaches, body aches, and itching from being slipped the anti-flu drug, moroxidine hydrochloride. The same thing happened at a school in Jilin. The central government immediately sprang to action. It launched a blanket inspection of all kindergartens through middle schools on the mainland to suss out further corruption, further fubai. The area of inspection included Sun Qingling. Rainey was sent home with a notice and a clear plastic vial the size of a thumb inscribed with his name. The 10 milliliter vial in hand was made of thin plastic and I pressed it absentmindedly. The plastic gave easily between my thumb and forefinger. A notice instructed us to send it back full of urine for government spot checks. I turned to Rob. Wouldn't it be a huge deal if something like this happened in the United States? If school officials were drugging children? <laughs> yeah, this would be front page news, Rod no Rob nodded. Legally actionable, right? I asked. <laughs> Legally actionable, he said. That's what I thought. I replied, living in China sometimes does that to you. The truth can be so strange that it recalibrates the filters through which you see reality. The next morning, Randy and I marched to the school with a vial full of yellow liquid. We've never received word that any Sun Qingling kid had tested positive for anti-flu drugs, and the scandal quickly passed from public consciousness. And that's the end of chapter 9. Thank you for listening. Next time, we'll take a look at chapter 10, which is titled Beating the System versus Opting Out. Until next time, see you soon.